0: Tea Time Theology. My name is Taylor Wilkie and I'll be your host for this episode. Our guest today is Canon Alan Bentrup. Alan is a Canon for Evangelism and Mission from the Diocese of Upper South Carolina. He is here today to talk about the season two finale of the West Wing to Cathedrals. Welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me. You know, thanks for coming on. Of course. Um, happy to just a quick little background so like for, first of all I just want to say uh I'm from Rhode Island it's a very small place to be with a canon from a diocese of uh like where a diocese where a state is split in half is very interesting to me
1: yeah and we're you know South Carolina split a hundred years ago or whatever the two dioceses and we have a great relationship with them and you know we're on the smaller side I don't know how many congregations are in the diocese of Rhode Island, but we have 60 in our diocese. There's even fewer in the lower diocese. Um, we do a lot of things together, but I'm, I'm from Texas. And if you want to talk about big places, there's like 400 dioceses all across Texas.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, Texas. I, uh, I recently just came back from a trip out to the Midwest and, uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, like every, like I think, uh, like, like around here, the maximum distance you can see, is like maybe like a quarter mile in any direction wherever you're standing because every everything everything's trees and bends and winds and like I was driving through the Midwest and I clocked I like said like I wonder how far behind me I can see and I could see a car two miles behind me and it was absolutely mind boggling to me. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, do you wanna uh, is there anything you wanna listen to know about you before we start? Um I know you said you've um you've preached on uh the west wing before
1: yeah so um i i preach on it often it comes up like it's so my wife and i um were dating when the west wing came out as a show this will date myself it's it started in like 99 i think and we were dating Uh, and so we watched it all you know the seven seasons as they happened and we've since gone through um probably two copies of the bvd box sets we've ruined the discs watching them and then we um watch them on netflix and now it's on hbo max and you know streaming wars and all of that i've probably seen the show 20 times all the way through it's just the thing that we put on Mm. um, as background noise or if there's nothing else on it's just something about it and um yeah i when i was in seminary some friends and i wrote a christian education curriculum based on the west wing I mm-hmm. reference it in sermons quite often. It's something that people learn about me really quickly. Um, it's just a thing that's kind of shaped my view of politics, of faith, of the world.
0: Mm. It's, kind of, it's kind of like your version of The Office.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Not that's as what, funny.
0: Yeah, you know, its uh, it seems pretty dramatic. I uh, I, I tried to get because people have, I've never watched The West Wing. Two Cathedrals was the first episode of The West Wing I've ever watched, and man, is it like, it's like a trial by fire. Cause you're like, yeah, wow, heavy. look at, and there, yeah.
1: There's some huge character development throughout the show and there's things, yeah. and we can talk about this, oh, but, yeah. but you know, Mrs. Landingham, right? Like we don't know much about her other than she's this character, unless you've seen in these two years, the journey that her character and those around her have taken. And all of this is, there's some episodes that you can just hop in and it's entertaining and enjoyable yeah. on its own. Okay. Um, this probably isn't one of those. This is pretty in-depth.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was blown away. Like, you know, like Mar- Martin Sheen is absolutely, like, chewing up the scenery in this episode. And it's, like, fantastic to watch, like, an actor of his caliber just, like, really go for it uh, mm-hmm. in all the scenes that he's in, 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 all, the, in all the major, well, the, 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 at least the two major scenes um, where he's pretty much talking to himself. I guess the first question I have, or the first thing I would like to do when talking specifically about the West Wing, um, this is the season finale. And um, when I was watching it, I felt really kind of lost in the episode. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I was wondering if you could catch, for for the people who haven't, maybe joining the podcast, haven't watched the West Wing, could you catch us up on what's really going on at this point in the show like like you know like the president has ms how did that come up why is that such a big deal um especially the crisis at the embassy things like that just kind of bring us to where we we need to be in order to understand fully what's going on yeah so
1: we um uh, it's like the 2nd thirdish year of the bartlett presidency there's actually they time skip a little bit and so there's some debate in the fan forums of what year it is because they like erase a whole year of his presidency but that's bigger discussion than this show um and so we go back we have two seasons of of information MS a multiple sclerosis um that announcement is becoming public um that kind of driving a lot of the narrative arc of this episode kind of the previous four or five episodes there's a whole thing the end of season two is about that um that goes back to we get a hint of it I think it's the beginning of this season Um, season one ended on a cliffhanger where there was a shooting. And I think we were left to understand that the president had been shot. Um, the president was, and he was rushed to the ER and, and in that scene, Dr. Bartlett, the first lady pulls the anesthesiologist aside and says to the anesthesiologist, you're one of 15 or however many people in the world that know this, but my husband, the president has multiple sclerosis. She needs to say that as a medical professional because the anesthesia one would receive is different and so this is that's a bombshell for us as the audience no one knows it just comes up and it hits you like a ton of bricks and then it's kind of underlying and there's some drama around how that's discovered how they figure out how to make it public how they do all of that and so there's that about the ms there's also the re-election there had been some um controversy around this so Vice President Hoynes who um was um another in the primary for President he was neck and neck with with President Bartlett and President Bartlett um secured the nomination way back when before the show even started that's all flashbacks and then once he um accepts the the Vice President nomination um he's told that the president has MS and so and he also knows kind of what underlines this is president Bartlett Martin Sheen had said he would serve one term that's kind of what he and Dr Bartlett had talked about I think he had probably talked about that with the vice president and so at some point during season two the vice president starts doing the thing someone would do if they were getting ready to run for president so the vice president apparently has this knowledge that maybe The president won't be running for re-election so he starts to do some things and smart people in washington start putting two and two together and that's why the question the question of his re-election is tied in with his ms but they came about at different times and so that all comes to fruition in this episode where they have to make this decision because as soon as he says in his press conference or in his televised interview i have ms and then he goes to a press conference that's the first thing the reporters are going to ask so a lot of the drama is around that layered on top of that is the the mrs landingham who is the president's secretary um she is already dead when the season finale starts that's because the the episode before 18th and potomac um ends on a cliffhanger where charlie young the president's body man get the phone call and it's a really i watched it again last night and i watched these two episodes and it's just really heartbreaking he's it comes in the scene and leo mcgarry the chief of staff says charlie is everything okay and he's just holding the phone you can tell he just got the news on the phone and he says mrs landingham was mrs landingham was hit by a drunk driver and leo says is she okay and charlie says it's great fact no she's dead and it was sudden it was the last bit of that episode and it's wasn't supposed to happen it was it happened and that left off 18th and Potomac and then we pick up in the midst of the MS in the midst of is he or is he going to run for re-election in the midst of a coup attempt in Haiti in the midst of all of this we also have the president Mrs. Landingham has died so that kind of feed this through and I could talk about the setup for hours, but that puts us where we are with the major point of drama with two cathedrals.
0: We do a lot of flashbacking to Bartlett's childhood and full disclosure, I haven't been like a cradle uh, Episcopal. I, I, I found the Episcopal Church um, after being a Roman Catholic for many years, um, kind of fell out of favor with that system and uh, and I eventually found myself attending a uh, an Episcopal Church uh, and the first thing I was surprised by my first my first ma- my first mass was um, I thought the Our Father was a lot shorter than it actually was all of a sudden we were saying the how Father and I and all of a sudden I stopped talking and everyone else starts saying for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever and ever um, one of my biggest questions in my back of my head that i've never asked is like why why is that extra bit i don't want to say tacked on to the end i'm sure i'm sure it's always been there but like why why have the roman catholics opted to not say that extra bit at the end and if you don't know that's fine and if you do that's really great too
1: yeah it's um it's complicated and has lots of different reasons um and you know it comes up in this episode because in one of these flashbacks, there's this thing about a non-denominational service at the private school where President Bartlett, mm. when he's a kid, Jed, attends. And, and he says, you know, the Catholics don't say that in the Our Father. And, and so um, it goes down to two things, really. One is scripture and one is tradition, right? And that mm. underlines a lot of what we do in the church. The, one, the first is scripture. So the Lord's Prayer comes up in two places. Um, where Jesus is giving Mm -hmm. them, the disciples, the prayer. One's in Matthew, one's in Luke. Um, I think the other one's in Luke. The one in Luke, neither one have it. Um, um, In most translations, that last bit, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's called the doxology for that prayer. Doxology is kind of an ending of a prayer. Um, Luke doesn't have it. Matthew does have it in some places. And that goes back. To um it's a term called um like textual reception, textual criticism, right? Like there wasn't just one completed Bible that someone handed down to someone and they ran photocopies, right? This is an oral yeah. tradition um that the the learned scholars started to write down. And back then some of the scholars added things. They added side notes or they added their own whatever, or they misheard and it got in and there's actually some West wing episodes about how changing one part of a document, not the script, not the Bible, but other things, how it throws the whole thing in. So it's a similar thing. Okay. So you have these, these schools, these kind of communities of scripture that have been coming, that have come down. Some of the scribes in Matthew put in the doxology. some of them didn't. And so you have like 99% of the new Testament, um, text like the earliest manuscripts are the same this part in matthew with the doxology is one of the parts where some of the early manuscripts have it some of it don't and that goes to there's an early manual in the church called the didache the didache which is like a prayer book instruction manual that like 180 or 90 80 something like that it has it in there so this doxology is as old as the church it's not always in the early scriptures. And so it started to make it into some of the scriptures, the more Catholic um, traditions of scripture and the more Catholic translations of scripture, I should say, don't typically have it in Matthew. Some that are the more Protestant translations do have it in Matthew. And so that's why in Protestant churches. So one thing, that's a long way to say one part of it is scriptural. Mm -hmm. The other part is that it's tradition and whether or not this is true or whether it's just something that some scholars argue, because scholars like to argue, is Queen Elizabeth, like the first, mm. way back when, hundreds of years ago, in order to further differentiate the Church of England from Rome, made the okay. change to say, we in the Church of England are going to include the doctology so that our Lord's Prayer is distinct from Rome. Okay. And so there's the tradition piece. Um, that why and then from the Church of England and the reformers, then come all of Protestantism and that's a whole other thing. So part of it's scriptural, part of it's tradition, and sometimes you could blame us Anglicans for it.
0: <laughs> great, great that that's really interesting that you mentioned that there was a uh, Queen Elizabeth the first. From what I understand, the current Queen Elizabeth is immortal and she's just always been the queen. It, and she will be the queen well forever. <laughs> she <laughs> might
1: be. She like a horcrux, or isn't it one of those things that's <laughs> yeah. just everlasting? Yeah.
0: In addition to the religious aspects of this uh, particular episode, this episode seems like a really like a like a like a very heavy goodbye to a very important character of Mrs. Landingham. and uh, and and I think that we really can't talk about the Oval Office scene unless we really talk about who mrs landing because like i said i don't know who this person is who was mrs landingham and why was she so important to him other than of course all the information we get in the flashbacks but it seems as though she was very prominent in his life growing up and not just a secretary hired to be his secretary in the white house so who was she and why was she so important to president bartlett i guess
1: yeah in this episode we pick up and she is the secretary to the president her office is directly outside the oval office she controls who comes in and who comes out. So she runs that part. Mm. So that's important. But we start to get in the flashback, and this is the first time we learn how they met. We have two years of history of these characters, but we don't actually know how they met. And so we get in the flashbacks that uh, Mrs. Landingham, as a younger woman, um, is hired by President Bartlett's father, who is the headmaster at the school, as his assistant and jed the student they have these interactions and um there's one there's one point in which mrs landingham dolores is her name um says jed you've never had an older sister and you need one
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that seems to be their interactions as the younger versions of themselves jed is a teenager and dolores as probably a 30 something mm-hmm. um, and then we know from previous flashbacks that um he worked for the president throughout his career um we're not sure exactly when it started because the president had been um an economist and economics professor and then he was um the governor of new hampshire and so there's a scene in um flashback scene in which he's having some meetings at the State House in New Hampshire and in his role as governor and Mrs. Landingham is there. So we know that at least as far back as when he was the governor, she was his assistant there. And so that's kind of their work role. Um, but another thing that she is, is she, right? everyone that works in the West Wing is brilliant at what they do, right? They're all lawyers, they're all high powered political operatives, they're all whatever. And then you have Mrs. Landingham, who's kind of the every person She's the conscience, I think I said earlier. She's the one person who can talk back to the president other than like Dr. Bartlett, his <laughs> wife.
2: Yeah.
1: So she, she can say things to him. Um, but she also brings a touch of down to earthness myth, for lack of a better term, to all the characters. And so we get some of her character development. Um, she's almost a grandmotherly figure um, to some. And we know some. she's led a hard life. Um, she's widowed. um, And we've known that for a while. Um, She lives alone. Part of this episode, part of the previous episode, she's about to buy her first brand new car. That's important to know. She was driving back from the dealership in her very first brand new car to show the president. And that's when she was hit by the drunk driver. So that's... But we also learned in a previous flashback in one of the other emotionally heavy scenes that she had when boys um that were both killed in vietnam wow. and so there's this powerful scene in a previous episode where um there's a homeless veteran who had died and, and toby who's a character in the show he sets up this funeral and it becomes a thing that he pulled string. and mrs landingham goes along to the funeral and in the midst of all this conversation about that about um you know service members who die she says, I can only imagine, essentially, what my boys must have been feeling when they were in the fields of Vietnam. Guns are going off, they're scared, and I bet they only wanted their mother. And so to hear her mourning um, for herself, but that her care wasn't just for herself, her care was that she couldn't be there for her boys when they lay dying in the fields of Vietnam. And so that gives us a sense of who she is as an empathetic, compassionate person and she serves that role of of being a voice of conscience being a grandmother figure to the rest of the of the cast
0: wow she's just like a really powerful character i really have to watch the west wing
1: like (laughs) and she she's not in it a bunch right she's never a title character she's in it for two seasons um and she's only a recurring character she's not in every episode Mm. but when she's in i mean she's such a great actress it's just really powerful the interaction she's able to have with folks that she's they use her very well mm. um, in the show, and she just delivers those parts so incredibly well.
0: Mm. And I can and I can tell that she's a very good actress because she she really did hold her own in that in the Oval off, o- Oval Office scene that we'll go over in a in a minute. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: And these, you know, another thing with this is really interesting because, um, like, all this got me thinking: why did she get written off the show? Mm. Um, and It happened because Aaron Sorkin, who's the writer and creator of The West Wing, had a conversation with Catherine Jouston, the the actress, um, that she was auditioning for a pilot of a different show um, that she would have been a recurring character. Um, So she would have probably been more stable pay and whatever, and that she wanted to pursue that. And so then Aaron Sorkin said, great i send you with my blessings and he used that as an opportunity to really hammer home the tragedy in president bartlett's life so when i read that i went to go figure out which show mrs landingham would rather be on and it was a show that ran for a couple years called joan of arcadia i don't know if you ever watched it
0: i've only heard of it
1: yeah and this is the wild part so joan of arcadia is this show in which a character has like a direct line to god and interacts with god in different forms what mrs landingham the role she left the Mm -hmm. west wing to go do was to be one of these voices of god and like her title is credited as either old lady god her character's (laughs) credit as old lady god or mrs landingham god (laughs) like that's the way her character is credited in this other show Mm-hmm. that she left the West Wing to go be the voice of God.
0: Part of the season is, is, is we're trying to let everyone kind of choose their own episode so that we can have like a nice, deep, meaningful conversation. And uh, now I really hope that someone picks a Joan of Arcadia episode. <laughs> um, maybe I'll heavily imply that someone should. So I, I, I think we've gotten enough backstory on who these people are and what they're doing. So now I think we should really get into the meat of the episode. We're, we're, we're going to start with Bartlett's conversation with God in the national cathedral specifically, why is Bartlett so angry with God in that moment where he's speaking to him? It, it, it's a very hostile tone he's taken. Um, so yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts yeah. on his, the tone of that conversation?
1: Yeah. So there's been a lot leading up in president Bartlett's life. And some of this is him. He takes a lot on his shoulders, I think. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to not all of us are president but we all sometimes try to bear others burdens and things he references in this monologue and like you can google you know president bartlett monologue to cathedrals and you can see this bit and everyone in the world should see these couple minutes of tv whether or not you ever watch any more of the west wing and he talks about josh as a character said what was josh but a warning shot um well when the president was shot earlier that mm-hmm. I talked about, yeah. Josh nearly died because he was shot as well. And so the president's still holding on to that, right? Like he's still feeling guilty about that probably because Josh was shot because people were shooting at the president. Uh,
0: just talked me, about
1: other things. Yeah,
0: oh, Who is Josh and why did he get shot?
1: So Josh Lyman is the deputy chief of staff and he was standing there okay. um, in the crowd with the president. Um, okay. And yeah at the end of season, of season 1. Okay. And the president has taken that personally and he's still holding on to that. And then there's the the wrestling with his own identity, I think, is also causing president Bartlett to be upset. Right? He's the president. He sees himself as someone who has accomplished a great deal. But now he's kind of being relegated to the guy with MS. Mm. And people are focusing on that. You know, some of the polling data they did about the president that that the uh, President Bartlett staff did to see if maybe he should run or how they should try to tell people about MS, the polling data all said that his approval numbers will sink through the floor. Um, He's a pretty popular and substantial president at this point in his presidency, until this happens. And then we get a sense that people aren't trusting him, we get a sense that he's losing that identity of who he is. What he's done isn't enough. And that's important to know. We get a hint of it in these flashbacks in this episode, but we also get a hint of it in some other conversations in previous episodes. The president his whole life has been trying to please his father. Even after his father died, the president is always trying to accomplish more and do better because he wants to please his father. And so I think that plays into it, right? He probably sees this as a failure. He probably sees him losing out on a second term, him doing all of this as he's letting his father down. And as a lot of people do, right? When we struggle with our earthly fathers, sometimes we project that onto God. And we see our interactions with God as kind of this microcosm. And so that's where I think the president's coming from. Some is just his grief and a lot going on in his life. Some is this identity question, and some is kind of this unresolved, father issues and it all just kind of comes out
0: it's very powerful the way that martin sheen portrays all of that um throughout this episode he seems completely lost um he he feels like he's lost his way in it and from from what i felt it seems as though it it, it was the, the catalyst of his of how he's feeling is is the loss of mrs landingham um and he seems a little bit more he he doesn't seem as though he seems more upset that she was taken from him rather than that he's actually upset that she's actually dead and he feels as though he is being unfairly punished by God for things that he does because he lists all of these things that he's done in his life but he feels as though he's still being punished for something and he doesn't understand why and I think that um, I think that we can all kind of relate to that in our life. And I don't know if, if you would want to speak to how a person of faith can kind of get over that hump when we feel as though God is just beating us down and we feel as though we're doing everything we can, but we just can't keep our heads above water. How, how would you, I guess, help someone through that moment in their life if they came to you like that?
1: Yeah. So I'm a priest, right? I serve on a bishop staff, but I've been a parish priest before and this is the hardest thing. I've had tragedy in my life. You've had tragedy in your life. We all have. That's part of the human condition. And, and we, I, sometimes feel like God has it out for me. I think that's probably a universal condition sometimes. I and mean, this idea of theodicy is the term, right? Why do bad things happen? If God is good and loving and all-powerful and all-knowing, why does a good God allow crap to happen? There's no answer. Uh, There's only more questions. Um, And so how do we wrestle with that? How does President Bartlett, who um, as an undergraduate student considered going to seminary to be a priest until he met Abby Bartlett. And so we know that he has theological training and we know he's a devout Catholic. We know all these things from flashbacks and previous episodes. How is he personally wrestling with that? He has a strong moral compass that comes out in other episodes and he's very clear headed. He's very um, deliberate. He's very rational. But in this episode, his world is out of control. In this episode, everything seems to be stacked against him. Everything seems to be falling apart and he loses control. Uh, You can imagine the president of the United States doesn't like feeling out of control. And so he has to blame someone. And I think we, I'll say I, like mm-hmm. to be in control and when i feel i'm out of control i like to blame someone and a lot of times that's god and you know this episode um, there's a funeral liturgy in it mrs landingham her funeral's held at the national cathedral and so you can see the vergers and you can see a priest and like there's all these episcopal trappings in there mm-hmm. and then the priest one of the things he says in the service is from the episcopal burial liturgy not all of it is if you like try to transcribe the whole thing but the one part that is is um on the book of common prayer the priest says as for me i know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth if you've been to a funeral in our tradition you'll recognize those words those words come from the book of job all right, Job 19.25 says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And if there's one book in the Bible that says crap is going to happen, and it's going to happen a lot. And sometimes it's going to feel like you're the only person on earth to whom crap happens. That's Job. That's his story, mm-hmm. right? The world seems to turn on him. His friends seem to turn on him. God seems to turn on him. And you have this one lone figure who's wrestling with all of this. And he's arguing, and he's angry, and and all of these things. But he still says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And so I think buried in that is is the truth that President Bartlett's trying to get at. It's the truth that I try to get at. Um, When I'm meeting with someone pastorally, he's going through a lot. Is Yes, life is hard right now. Things are going to happen right now, but in the end, Jesus, God, will stand upon the earth, right? Like, we don't know how we're going to get through. We don't know how we're going to wake up tomorrow, but we will, and we have to have that faith. We as Christians live by that faith that God is with us in the mess. And I think that's where, I mean, even the fact that the president Bartlett has kind of this honest conversation with God, this vulgar conversation with god and we'll translate the latin in a little bit it is a vulgar conversation to me that shows that jed knows that god is with him and he knows that god can take his complaints he knows that god is big enough for someone to be ticked off and still love him it's just his anger it's just his sadness it's just his grief it's all of it and it just comes out in emotions and the only place he knows to turn is to god to let out those emotions
0: amen that was really great. <laughs> let's, uh, y- and you brought it up a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk about the Latin in yeah. the scene. I mean, he uh, he's, he's doing his, he, uh, uh, Martin Sheen is doing his monologue and he, he runs into, he starts speaking in Latin and then I feel like he like, the first time he speaks in Latin, I, I didn't write the quote down, but I feel like he says the Latin phrase and he translates it into English. But then the second time he speaks Latin, he doesn't translate that bit. Um, and I can tell that just by the tone of what he's saying. And then he continues in English after that. What was he saying in Latin? And and what is the significance of that in the overall t- conversation he's having with God?
1: Yeah, so this is like the first part of his monologue. He says, you know, you killed her with a drunk driver. Was that supposed to be funny? What was Josh? A warning shot? You killed these people on a tender ship. And then he says, gratias tibiago domine. And that's thank you lord but it's a sarcastic thank you lord even the way he delivers that line is sarcastic Mm. so he's saying you killed my friend you nearly killed my other friend you sunk a ship thanks god and he's coming out and we all do that my kids talk to me like that Mm. like thanks dad i mean he's saying thanks a lot you really think you need to do this Mm. that's not the vulgar part but that's where you start to sense his frustration Mm and then he goes on and he says yeah i've lied i've sinned i've committed a bunch of sins he calls god a feckless thug Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which like this is this scriptural right like you read the psalms and david david has some pretty strong language so there's precedence for this you know president bartlett pleads his case i've created all these new jobs we're not at war i've helped other countries that's not enough to buy me out of the doghouse is what he says and then he says, in Latin, but it's translated to English, says, am I to believe that these are the things from a just God, from a fair God, from an all-knowing God? And so he's saying, how can I believe? Like, I've done these good things in my life, yet you've caused these bad things to happen. You know, he has this kind of idea. He's stuck in himself thinking, God's causing me. He's saying, am I, how can I believe that a loving God would do this? Which, you know, we just talked about a minute ago, that's theodicy, is we, when things happen, how do we reconcile the fact that our friend died and they shouldn't have, or whatever happened and it shouldn't have, how do we reconcile that with, God, how can you let this happen? And then he goes on, and this is the part at the end, you know, after he says, he does that, how... How can I expect this from, a, from an unknowing God? He says, cruciatus in crucem, which means to the cross with your punishment, which is a nice way of saying to hell with your punishment.
2: Mm.
1: So at this point, he's done with God. You think, you're doing all these things. I obviously can't please you. I can't believe you're a good God. To hell with you. And then he goes on further to say, I was your servant on earth, I was your messenger. I've done my job. He says that in Latin. Again, he's pleading his case. I've done my job, the president says. And he says again, cruciatus and crucium, to hell with your punishment. And then he says, eos and crucium. So not just to hell with what you're doing, that last line, eos and crucium, he's saying to hell with you, God. And at this point, he's done. Yeah. Because that's the point where he puts out a cigarette, squashes it, and he says, you get Hoynes. And so not only does he seemingly end his relationship with God or says, I'm done with you, God, that's the point at which we're led to believe as viewers. And I think he at that point believes in himself. He's done with his job. That's saying you get Hoynes. I mentioned Vice President Hoynes. Mm -hmm. He's making that decision in that moment that he's not going to seek reelection. And we'll talk about how it actually ends up. But he's done with God, and he's done with his job. To hell with it.
0: It's a powerful scene by itself, and have to, to have someone who really knows what, what what's going on in that scene talk about it, it's even more powerful, which is really great. And thanks for breaking that down. <clears throat> so now we're going to fast forward a little bit through the episode. Uh, we keep getting hints that the storm's coming. There's a storm coming. The storm is coming. It's on its way. It's odd. It's outside of hurricane season why is this storm coming and it even gets to the point where um you know there's the door the door in the oval office that keeps swinging open and uh like i said i, I don't know much about the west wing but i it's made very clear that mrs landingham is like this like gatekeeper for the president and at, at one point in the episode he bartlett asks why does this door keep blowing out? Every time someone opens this door, the other door blows out. And they said, well, it's because when when enough doors are... When a certain combination of doors are open in the White House, that door will open because there's just a breeze coming through. And I feel like Mrs. Landingham's job was to... Not her job, but she would make sure that the door to the outside of the Oval Office was closed before the interior door was open. And... One of the problems, he and the reason why he's seeing this problem for the first time in this episode, it feels like, is because she's not there to keep that gate for him. And it's causing that little annoying problem. And it shows the little things that she would do to keep his life, keep those annoyances out of his life. Um, so it's no surprise that when the storm hits and he's in the Oval Office the 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 door slams open and then he starts having his second conversation the first conversation is more it's very one-sided it is very pointing the finger and saying i'm done with you this second conversation seems a little bit more like god's rebuttal to that interaction and and it seems as though his vision of mrs landingham isn't just Mrs. Landingham, it is God taking the form of her and talking directly to him. What are your thoughts on that interaction between, from what I assume is God speaking directly to Bartlett?
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. And the way you talk about how she kept his life running, there's a scene in later episodes because it takes a while for, for President Bartlett to replace Mrs. Landingham and that becomes a thing. One day he can't find a pen. This pen he always loves to write with and, and he, he always has it. Why doesn't he have it now? And someone points out Mrs. Lanningham always put one in your jacket pocket. And so like he can't do the thing he needs to do, the thing that he wants to do because the person who enabled all of it is gone. And I think that's true with, you know, they talk about how all these doors have to be open in this right thing. So like everything wrong has to be, everything has to be going wrong at the same time for this door to be flapping open. There was a linchpin that made sure not everything went wrong at the same time. And that was Mrs. Landingham and she's gone. And so there's the sense that there are all these storms. There's the storm um, coming in like the literal storm where it's raining and all of that. There's also the internal storm for president Bartlett coming from a lot of different ways. And a lot of it seems to be caused because Mrs. Landingham isn't gone. And so, yeah, there's this scene and it sets up and, Um, I think it's Leo McGarry, the chief of staff, tells the president um, to sit down and he says, I I just noticed last night for the first time, he says, close your eyes, which to me is, is Leo, the chief of staff, saying, go take a nap because the president is about to go to a press conference where he has to say, am I running again? And so I wonder if that close your eyes means that this isn't a dream. I mean, we see the president walking around having an interaction with someone who's not there. But I wonder if it that actually happened or if that's just the the showrunners letting us in on the fact that this is President Bartland sleeping and dreaming. And he has this conversation with Mrs. Landingham where they go back and forth about um the president again saying, Have I not done enough? And Mrs. Landingham saying, Tell me what you've done. And he says, I've done this. I've done this. I've created these jobs. I've done all of this. Mrs. Lanningham says, tell me what problems still exist in this country. And the president says, these many million kids go to bed hungry every night. These people are out of work. These He talked about all these problems that still exist. And Mrs. Lanningham essentially says, what are you, Jed, going to do about it? And she has this line that says, you know, if you think you're tired and you just you're done, that's okay. But if you don't wanna run again, Jed, because you don't wanna be bothered, she's God, I just don't wanna know you. This idea that if he's just gonna quit because it's getting hard, then quit and go home, and I don't even wanna know you. If you don't have a good reason, if you're a person that you feel that you are equipped, you are the person in this world equipped to help our country tackle these problems, you need to do something about it and and as you were talking and i was thinking about this i think mrs landingham might be um the voice of god in this situation but but we do know that the president is devoutly catholic i wonder if mrs landingham isn't a saint right and you know in and, and saints we intercede we intercede with and through the saints right mm-hmm. the belief that we can talk to them as a as a way to to help us process and think and not that we can't talk to God on our own but that, mm. that sometimes a saint plays a particular role and so i wonder if we haven't moved from mrs landingham the saint landingham and this is kind of jed's way of of interceding through saint landingham and where she's able to help him think through cuz right we see on the video Um, that they show on the film, that it's Jed talking to himself. In his mind, he's talking to Mrs. Landingham. Mm -hmm. This is all in real time, apparently, just him talking to himself. And so this conversation helps him say, there's so much I've done and there's so much that I've left undone. And Jed probably thinks he's the only person in the world that can move our country where it needs to go. And so at that point, he seems to no longer feel like he did in the National Cathedral where he's done with it. He, there's kind of a sense of determination. And we get that in the the, um, the stage direction and the filmography of the shit's just beautiful, right? Like the president refuses a raincoat and just walks through the pouring rain because there's nothing at this point that's going to stop him from accomplishing his mission. Yeah. Whereas a couple hours ago, he was done in the cathedral he was done with god he was done with his job now not even the raging storm is going to stop him from accomplishing what he needs to do and he got to that point through this conversation with saint landingham
0: we're getting towards the end of our time together um, if you had to sum up the moral of this sto- of the, of this episode if, or like the, the main takeaway anybody watching this episode should should have when they when they finish watching it what what do you think that message is
1: yeah i think it's a question of um crap is gonna happen um it's evident in jed's life it's evident in all the storms raging around him and around his staff but there's this underlying theme um throughout of being in community when we're going through these struggles right we've talked about mrs landingham and how his connection with her helps center him and propel him but there's also this idea that for a long time, the president's wrestling with this question of, should I run or shouldn't I by himself? He's holding all of that on his own and his staff, his chief of staff, all of them are saying, we, we, not you, we need to have this conversation. So to me, kind of the underlying message here is crap is gonna happen. We're human, the world is broken but we don't go through it alone. We have our community that goes through it with us. And even when we're ticked off with God, we have God that goes through it with us.
0: Well, Alan, I'm so happy to have had you on the podcast. Um, I'm so happy that I reached out on Reddit and you reached out to me. If our listeners wanted to hear you uh, preach on a Sunday, um, I know we're in Rhode Island diocese, but hopefully we'll get some extra listeners from outside. Uh, where 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 could they find you on a Sunday?
1: Yeah, so I'm all over. I'm a circuit rider. Um, part of the gifts of, of working for the bishop's office is I fill in or I guest preach at churches all over the diocese. I do post most of my sermons on my own blog, the mm-hmm. place where I store my sermons. My name will probably be in show notes. It's it's pretty unique. And so if you Google my name, my stuff will show up. Um, another thing I do, this is the shameless self-promotion bit, is I have a podcast with a great friend, Mary Balfour Dunlap. She's a priest in our diocese, where we're working our way through um, the Bible. We're about to start numbers, and you can find that at BibleLovePodcast.org, and then there you can find all of that thing. So you can Google my name and find me on everything, because I'm apparently the only Alan Bintrup in the world. <laughs> Or go to Bible love Great. And uh, do you
0: have any socials you'd like to also plug that we can find you?
1: Yeah. Um, if you want to see pictures of my kids and all the books I read and things like that, Instagram is probably the one I'm on most often and it's, you know, at Alan Bentrup, A-L-A-N-B-E-N-T-R-U-P. Wow. Again, I have my own name on every social media because there is not another one of me.
0: That's fantastic. I've, uh, my last name is uh, Wilkie and, you know, for some somehow, some way, someone has taken that name right before me on every platform I've ever gone to. So I've always had to put Wilkie88 on everything. Um, so it's great that you can actually have your own name on, uh, on your socials. Uh, well, Alan, thank you so much for being here. We'll uh, link everything in the show notes uh, when we post the episode. Um, thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun
0: absolutely and hope to hopefully we'll be able to have you on again one day absolutely okay Network.
2: for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinski, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Mo Akande and David Hines for the season three music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.